Thank you, sir. God bless you. Uh, well done this morning. I've seen that hymn. I've never heard it. And uh, I enjoyed hearing it this morning. I like this emphasis on the promises of God. Uh, they asked um, old George Mueller when he was well up in years how he got so many answers to prayer and kept a happy spirit. And he said, that's easy. I'll show you. And he got his Bible out and he opened the Bible and got down on the floor and put his finger on a verse and looked up to heaven. He said, every morning when I got out of bed, he said, I would open the word of God and I would read until I'd find one of the promises of God. He said, I'd put my finger on the promise. I'd look up to heaven and I'd say, Lord, you promised and I'm claiming this one today. And he said there was never a single day that God did not keep the promise that he claimed. Aren't you glad God not only makes promises, he keeps promises? You know, people lie. Maybe nobody's ever lied to you, but people do lie. You can't trust everybody, but you can trust the Lord. It is impossible for him to lie. And so we take the promises of God and we make them our own. And I, I just, I love this emphasis. I love the fact that that is connected to your missions work this month and to the advancement of the gospel. That's passionately in my heart. I know it's in yours. And I'm praying God will give us a great final Sunday of this month. You know, some Sunday, I don't know when it will be. I don't know where I will be. But some Sunday will be our final Sunday on earth. We'll have our last Lord's Day here, and we'll go into one eternal day forever. That's going to be glorious, isn't it? I'd be all right with going from here today. That'd be good. And uh, we don't know when that's going to be, but it could be today. And I hope we'll worship like it. I'm going to take you to a book of the Bible, small book, Old Testament book, and then we're going to camp there all day long today. So congratulations for being in on the first step of our little journey through this book of the Bible. Let's open the word together this morning to the book of Ruth, if you will, in the Old Testament. I love the book of Ruth. I don't know that I have preached at all from the book of Ruth in the last couple of years during the the COVID season, uh, when we were all uh, on lockdown. Everybody remember that wonderful, glorious time uh, that we had? Uh, we were having um, meetings online, and I preached through the book of Ruth. And I, I enjoyed that very much. That's been a few years back. Uh, but recently, I was reading through Ruth again, just devotionally reading my way through the book. And I came across some things that I know are not new. They, nothing new is in the Bible. It's all the eternal word of God. Uh, but it is fresh. And I know that I've seen it before, read it before. But you ever read through a portion of the Bible and things just start jumping off the page at you? I love that. And sometimes you've got to really work, you know, and, and uh, just meditate in a passage and that kind of thing. But sometimes you read through and the Holy Spirit just almost lifts the text right off the page and you begin to see things. And that happened for me. And so God used this book to encourage me and I'm praying God will use it to encourage you today. You know, this emphasis on the promises of God your church has on this Lord's day. If you take the book of Ruth, just glance through it. Would you just turn a page or two? It's short, just four chapters long. But if you take the book of Ruth, it's a narrative account. It is a historical account of a real woman and her family and the blessing of God in and through that family. And Ruth, the Moabitess, of course, you know the story, becomes one of the people in the lineage of Christ. Her name shows up in the New Testament in the genealogy of Jesus. And that is very unusual, but that's the grace and that's the mercy of Almighty God. But if you just take a 30,000-foot flyover of the book of Ruth, Ruth, if, if you were to say, what is this book, is a book of the promises of God in pictures. 
So if you want to know something about the God who makes promises and always keeps his word and does what he says he'll do, Ruth is a perfect illustration of that. And, you know, you, sometimes one of the dangers in these historical passages, you think, well, that was so long ago. Let me just remind you, God never changes. So history is not just to know history. History is to know him. And when you come to a passage like this, this is not just about Ruth, the Moabitess. This is not just about her mother-in-law, Naomi. This is not just about Boaz. This is a book about us. When you open the Bible, the Bible is not only a lens on God and on others, it is a mirror on you. So when you come to the book of Ruth, you ought to be looking at it saying, Lord, show me me. Show me what I need. Now let's start right where the Lord does. Look at Ruth chapter 1, verse number 1. Now... It came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. Stop. Time out right there. Turn back one page in your Bible. Everybody go back one page in your Bible. What book are you in, please? Tell me. Judges. All right. So the little book of Ruth falls into the book that is previous to it. And if you'd like to know what the period of the Judges was like, let me just read the last verse of Judges. Look at Judges 21, verse 25. In those days... There was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Do you think that sounds like the world we're living in today? Everybody just does whatever they want to do. Whatever makes them happy. That's the day we're living in. And it's a period like the period of the judges, which for the record is chaos. Look, please. God is a God of order. Sin does the exact opposite. The Lord sets things in order. Sin just scatters everything, makes chaos, brings confusion. And so that's the period of the judges. Now go back to Ruth chapter 1, verse number 1. Read it again. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. As if it couldn't get any worse, it gets worse. So not only are the people doing what they want to do, and nobody's thinking much about God, but in the midst of that, famine comes. By the way, those two things are, are, are connected for a reason, because God often uses the famine to remind us that he's the only one who gives the bread. You want to know why bad things happen? Uh, you can follow the, the evil in our world back upstream to the fall of man and to the entrance of sin into the mainstream of humanity, but God allows things to happen. Even in places like Bethlehem. Bethlehem's a good place. Bad things happen in good places. You know why bad things happen in good places? Because bad things happen everywhere. Job said, man that is born a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Just full of trouble. We're in a world full of trouble. But God allows the trouble. God allows the famine so that the people will wake up and be reminded how desperately they need God. See, the days the judges were period where everybody just had no regard for God, no regard for God at all. You know the word ungodly in the Bible is an interesting word. It literally means giving no regard to God. If I ask you this morning, tell me about something ungodly in our world. Well, people start making a list. And it's always funny to me, but people always list things they don't do. Some of you say, well, tell me about what's ungodly. Well, I'll tell you that abortion crowd. Now, that's ungodly. And the sodomites, that's ungodly. And the politicians, that's ungodly. And all God's people said, amen, right? And we love to fuss, don't we, about their ungodliness. Do you understand you can sit in a church house and be ungodly? You can dress up for church and carry a Bible and sing the hymns and be ungodly? Because godliness 
is about the place God has in your life. It's not just about the evil that creeps in. It's about the place God has in you. So if you live your life, conduct your business, raise your family, do everything you were going to do, but you don't give any regard to God, I tell you on the authority of the word of God, you're ungodly. And there are a lot of ungodly churches because God's not there. <laughs> it's pretty bad, isn't it? Have a church building, God not be there. But I mean by that, those people just doing their thing, not interested in what God wants. Every man doing that which is right in their own eyes. So God sends the famine to remind us, to bring us to the end of ourself, and the end of us is the beginning of him. That's exactly what's going on in Ruth chapter 1. God's using the famine. And I don't I didn't even plan to say this this morning, but there's probably somebody in this room, you're going through a famine of sorts right now in your own life or family and wondering, where's God in all this? Did it ever dawn on you the Lord is using the famine to try to turn your heart toward him? Now hear what God is saying in the famine. Now keep reading. The Bible says a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn, that means just a temporary stay, in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malan and Kilan, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. He had no intention of living there, just to visit there. You know, every week I'm in different places. And uh, Tammy and I talk about this a lot. There are places you just love being. I'm talking about geographically. They're just beautiful and enjoyable. And we love this part of the country and we love this church, sweetest people on earth in this place. Uh, but sometimes you visit places where you're glad you don't live there. How many of you have ever been there before? And you think, boy, I'm glad this is not the place where we, we live. There are places like that and you think, we'll just be there a short time. That was his intention. He goes to the country of the Moabites, which you want to talk about ungodly. It's pretty bad, you know. They leave Bethlehem. You know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. And in the famine, little season of famine, they leave the house of bread and they go to the country of Moab. You know what Moab is? The arch enemy of Israel. You know, when things start going wrong, people, it's funny to me, but people do the exact opposite of what they ought to do. When trouble comes, you ought to run to Jesus. But when trouble comes in most people's lives, they run away from Jesus. You watch people start struggling with their marriage or struggling with their kids or struggling with their finances. You know the first thing they do? Start missing church. Lay the Bible down. Stop thinking about spiritual things. Got to try to figure this out. Got to fix this. You got it all backwards. When the problems come, that's when you ought to get as close to God as you possibly can. The famine should not be a wedge between you and God. It should be a prod that gets you nearer to God. This guy does the exact opposite. Loads his whole family up, goes to Moab, thinks he'll be there a short time. He continues there. We're about to read in just a minute. They spent 10 years there. That is not just a sojourn. 10 years. And that's a funny thing, you know. When you start making bad choices, you never know how long this is going to go, how long the effects of this are going to continue. And for the record, it wasn't just Elimelech who's going to suffer the consequences of it. His whole family is going to be affected by it. I'm just saying be careful in the famine, in the difficulties of life, the decisions you make, because those decisions have long consequences and long-reaching consequences into the lives of other people. Look at verse number 3. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. Now, I don't know about you, when I read the first three verses of this book, this seems depressing to me. 
I mean, you got a period when everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. Famine comes to Bethlehem, Judah. The family moves to Moab, and now daddy dies. Never gets home, never gets his family home. Let's take a survey. How many of you think that sounds pretty dark? And yet here's what's amazing. The book of Ruth is one of the brightest spots in the entire Old Testament. You talk about turning a light on in the midst of the night. That's what Ruth is. The Lord is getting ready to, to step into the whole situation and turn it all for good. It is a story of the grace of God. I'm going to tell you what Ruth is. Ruth is a book of romance and redemption. That's Ruth. Romance and redemption. How many romantics are here? Would you raise your hand? God bless all three of you. That's really good. How many remember when you used to be romantic? Let's go away. That's right. That's more of us now. Let me ask a different question. How many of you need redemption? That ought to be everybody's hand. And you may not feel romantic, but this is not about the romance of a man and woman, Boaz and Ruth. This is about the love of God for fallen humanity and the grace of God he shows to everybody and the redemption he brings to sinners who desperately need it. So keep reading verse 4. And they took the wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other what class? Circle that in your Bible. There, there's her name. That's the book we're in. It bears her name. This is, this is a beautiful reminder of the grace of God. Ruth is a Gentile, not a Jew. She is a woman who grew up with no faith in Jehovah God, who had no heritage, no background, no legacy of truth handed to her. And yet, did it ever dawn on you that one of the 66 books of the Bible bears her name? What is that? That's just the Lord. That's just the grace of God. And keep reading. Look at verse number five. The Bible says the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelled there about 10 years. Verse five, and Malan and Kylan died also both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. So now, not only has, has daddy died, now the boys have died, and so you've got Naomi, and you've got the two daughter-in-laws. That's who's left in all of it. Verse 6, then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. And here's what I want to bring to your attention this morning. It's the second half of Ruth chapter 1 and verse number 6. Did you ever notice this? 4, she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. Now, the rest of the book is all about their return and what happens when they get there and what grows out of their return. It is, it is a book of the return. That's what it is. But here's what I want you to notice. Where does it all start? Would you take your pen out? Everybody get a pen in hand because I'm going to give you some things to write down, a little Bible study in this hour, just a, an entry point to the book of Ruth and a, a foundation of everything we're going to study today. Mark this in your Bible in verse number 6. She had heard. She heard something. Have you heard? Have you heard? Do you know we have a world right now full of so much information that we hear so much. I mean, we're bombarded with it. 24-7 news cycle. Uh, that, look, this thing right here that we carry with us, this little device, we're just hearing stuff all the time, hearing stuff all the time. And frankly, it's robbed us of a whole lot of peace and quiet in our world 
because we're just inundated by so much information. We have so much data being thrown at us all the time. It's frankly hard to process it all. We, we hear all the time. And then, in this corrupt, fallen culture we're living in, we're hearing more bad news than we've ever heard. Anybody else in this room sick of bad news? I'm just curious. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of turning it on and just hearing him ad nauseum talk about another murder and another rape and another war, and right? More and more. And look, that's not going to go away. I wish I could tell you that was all going to stop. It will someday when our Lord returns. But until then, evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So if you're sticking around waiting on things to get better, the world is not winding up. It's winding down. So don't, don't expect something that Scripture does not teach. We, we're hearing all this information. We're hearing lots of bad news. But this is powerful. In the, in the midst of a famine, way down in Moab, in the midst of very difficult, sad circumstances, this woman heard just a little glimmer of hope, just a little nugget of good news. And that one thing she heard changed everything. Do you know what everybody in this world needs right now? Everybody needs to hear who Jesus is. Everybody does. And I know who I'm talking to. By and large, I'm talking to a bunch of believers this morning, and I'm glad that you're a believer. But I'm going to tell you what believers need right now. Everybody needs to hear again the good news of the Lord. Everybody needs to hear about the promises of God and the near presence of God and the providence of God. Every one of us need to hear it again. I wonder, I'm asking, have you heard? How long has it been since you've heard? Well, what did she hear? Let me give you three things. They all come right here from our verse. Would you write them down somewhere? I think they'll help you remember what we're talking about here today. Number one, she heard that the Lord visits his people in the darkest days. That's the wording here. The Bible says she heard how that the Lord had visited his people. Now, we've already established these are dark times that they're living in, but this is beautiful. That's when the Lord loves to make house calls. Did you know the Lord loves not just to make house calls, the Lord loves to come in the middle of the night? He works every shift. There is never a moment that you can call on the Lord that the Lord is sleeping or tied up, busy, unavailable. No, the Lord loves to visit in the darkest moments. Let me prove it to you, all right? Go back to the first page of your Bible. Just hold your place now. Mark Ruth 1, because we're coming back. Don't lose your spot. Go back to Genesis 1. First mention in Scripture. Foundational truth. Look at Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, Verse 2 has always been interesting to me. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Can you think of anything more difficult than what is described in verse 2? There is chaos, there is emptiness, there is darkness. Well, that sounds like our world, doesn't it? And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now look at verse 3. And God said, read it with me, church, let there be what? Light. And there was light. Would you circle in verse 2, darkness, and in verse 3, light, and connect the two in your Bible? It has always been in the darkest times that the light of the Lord enters in. It's always in the dark moments where the Lord shows up. Why does he do it in the darkest moments? Because that's where he proves who he is. That's where he alone gets the glory. 
If you and I could figure it all out and fix our situation and make everything right with the world, then we'd take all the credit for it. We'd say, look what we did. But we can't. So it's out of our control, but it's not out of his control. The Lord visits in the darkest moments. Now, let me show you this in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You're in Genesis already. Turn over just a few pages to the book of Exodus. Would you look at Exodus chapter 3? Because the children of Israel, uh, the nation of Israel, is in a dark time. They're in Egypt. Uh, They've had several hundred years of bondage and slavery. It's awful. And... um, It's at that moment that the Lord sends the light. Look at Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 15. God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. You know what he just said? He just said, I remember my promise. Look at verse 16. Go, gather the elders of Israel together, And say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, and I want you to mark the next phrase in your Bible, in Exodus 3, verse 16, I have surely visited you. Anybody glad the Lord visits us? They're in Egypt. They're in bondage. They are slaves But the Lord not only knows where they are, the Lord comes to where they are. He visits them in that place. Now, go to the New Testament. That's the Old Testament. Go to the New Testament. Go with me to the book of Luke, would you please? Look at Luke chapter number 1. Because the Lord visiting his people in the Old Testament, it's connected to the exodus, the exit from Egypt. In the New Testament, it's connected to the entrance of Christ, to the coming of Messiah, When the Lord showed up, what's the language here? Look at Luke chapter 1. Zacharias, filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to prophesy. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 68. This is right before the birth of Jesus. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath, what's the word? He visited and redeemed his people. When Jesus came to earth, can I tell you what happened? God made a visit. That's why God became a man without ever stopping being God. The Lord put on a body. That's what he did and came to earth for 33 and a half years. Why did he do that? He visited us so eventually we could live with him. I love this. He came here temporarily so we could go there eternally. That's pretty good, don't you think? God visited his people. You're still in Luke, right? Turn over a couple pages to Luke chapter 7. Uh, the Lord Jesus performs an amazing miracle. He raises a boy from the dead. Remember, he's the resurrection and the life. There's a widow woman weeping, crying, following along behind the funeral procession, and Jesus just <laughs> stops the funeral. Look, I've, I've been to a lot of funerals. Your pastor was telling me yesterday how many funerals he's conducted. I couldn't believe it. I've been to a lot of funerals, but I've never seen anybody come break up a funeral. I've seen some interruptions in funerals, but I've never seen anybody come to the funeral, raise the dead person, and everybody went home for supper. I've never seen that happen before. But Jesus did that. Look at Luke chapter 7, verse number 15. He that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us. And, read it with me, please, that God hath visited his people. Sound familiar? 
So in the Old Testament, God visited his people. In the New Testament, God visited his people. I got a good word for you. Ready for it? Today, God still visits his people. The Lord comes among us. And when does he come? He comes in the darkest times. So that's the first thing we must hear. Go back with me to Ruth chapter 1, verse number 6. Let me give you a second thing to write down. Number one, the Lord visits his people in the darkest days. Number two, the Lord gives bread in the direst circumstances. So not only did the Lord make a visit to Bethlehem, Judah, but he brought bread. Remember, they were in the famine. They're having a hard time having something to eat. I mean, they, they moved to Moab just looking for food. We don't know anything about this. We really don't. You know, I'd recommend to everybody in this room that at some point you travel outside the United States. It would do your heart good to see true poverty. The first time I ever saw real, I mean real poverty, I'm not talking about a poor section of town, I mean real poverty, was in Ghana, West Africa. Uh, open sewers, people just trying to find something to eat. I remember staying in a little, they called it a hotel. It was called the Melody Hotel. Let me just tell you, it was anything but melodious. It was pretty rough. And we were staying there, but the children of the, of the village where we were, the little town where we were, they would come gather outside the hotel asking for bread. And anything you had, any snack you had, anything you had, they were just happy to have something because they were so hungry. We don't know anything about that. There is famine still in this world, but we're spoiled. We're just also spoiled. Most of us ate more uh, this past week than most people around the world are going to eat in a month. And we know very little of this kind of physical famine, but there are hunger pains. There, there's de real desire and need for sustenance, and this is wonderful. But when the Lord shows up, not only does he come, but he gives the bread. Let me show you a great verse. Go over to Psalm with me just for a second. Psalm 132. I want you to mark this verse in your Bible. Look at Psalm 132, verse number 15. The Lord is speaking and he says, I will abundantly bless her provision. God's the great provider. God's the great giver. And look at Psalm 132, verse 15, the end of the verse. I will satisfy her poor with bread. The idea is when you get to the bottom, like when you hit bottom, when you get to the place where you got nothing and you say, Lord, I got nothing, that's the very moment where the Lord shows up and says, all right, now I'm going to give you everything that you need. I'm going to satisfy the deepest needs of your heart. And for the record, the greatest hunger is never physical. The greatest hunger is spiritual. In fact, there are people in our own land, maybe some people in this room right now dying of hunger. You say, no, we're not dying of hunger. We've eaten well. I'm not talking about physical things. There are people who are dying for love, <clears throat> dying for joy, dying for purpose, dying for meaning, dying for hope, because they're hungry and they're in a man. That's why Jesus said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they should be filled. Only the Lord can satisfy the deepest need of the human heart. Only God can do that. Have you heard the Lord does that? Old Testament, New Testament again. Old Testament, children of Israel wandering through that wilderness. And what are they? They're hungry. And they said something dumb. You ever said something dumb? They said something really dumb. They said, we wish we were back in Egypt because we had onions and garlic back there. Isn't it funny how, how our memory betrays us? Spurgeon said, by some strange perversity, we forget what we should remember and remember what we should forget. Isn't it crazy? They were slaves in Egypt, and all they can remember now is the onions and the garlic that was there. 
How quickly we forget the pain of sin and all we can enjoy and remember is the little bit of enjoyment we had in sin. It's crazy, isn't it? They're hungry. And the Lord says, I'm going to take care of you. You really think God's going to let his people go without? The Lord always takes care of his own. And so what does the Lord do? He sends manna from heaven. The word manna means, what is it? That's literally what the word means, because that's what they said. When they walked out and they saw it on the ground, they said, what is this? What is this? The Lord provides. Do you know what that provision is? I'll tell you what it is. It's God's reminder that he's more than enough. I'll tell you what it is. It's God's way of telling you that you can't make it happen and get it done on your own, but God's going to take care of his children. That's what it is. And we all need a reminder of this from time to time. Then you go to the New Testament. Jesus shows up. And the Pharisees, all, they always show up, don't they? The religious people all gather around him and they say, we, we want you to perform some miracles. We want you to do something for us. And Jesus said, well, the Father gave your fathers bread in the wilderness, and now he's given me to you. And what did Jesus say? I am the bread of life. Look, friends, nobody satisfies like Jesus. You try anything you want to. Anybody you want to. Any place you want to. Nothing meets the hunger of the human heart like the fulfillment that Jesus brings. Nothing. Have you heard? The Lord visits his people in the darkest days. The Lord gives bread in the direst circumstances. There's a third one. Go back to Ruth chapter number one. Uh, the Lord sends the message of hope to the most distant people. Did you ever notice how far away from home she was? She's way down in the country of Moab. They didn't have newspapers like we do today. They didn't have social media to scroll through. How'd she get the word? This is beautiful. God has a way of making sure people get the message. God has a way of reaching to the most distant people. If I had a map here, I would show you. But geographically, do you know what Moab was? Moab was back in the direction that the children of Israel had come through on their way to the promised land. So watch this, please. Did you know everybody in the world is moving one or two directions? People are either move, moving toward the Lord and toward what God has chosen for them, or they're running from the Lord and they're moving further away. Could I just ask you, which way are you moving today? Because everybody's moving one direction or another. Nobody's stationary. People say, I'm just going to stay still here. Nobody's still. You're moving forward or moving backward. You're either running from the voice of the Lord God walking through your garden in the cool of the day or you're running toward the Lord because you want to be closer to him. Are you drawing nigh to God or are you drifting from God at this moment? Everybody's doing one of the two. And what had this family done? This family had gone the exact opposite direction of what they ought to go. See, it's not just lost people who need to hear. It's God's people. If ever there was a time the Lord's people need a fresh realization of who their God is and why we're here and what God has done for us, if anybody needs to hear it again, it's some of us who've been saved for a little while and we find ourselves living in Moab instead of living in the presence of God and the Lord's trying to get his message to you right now. Amen. And this is interesting. How long have they been there? Ten years. Ten wasted years. So they're a long ways from home where they ought to be. And they are a long time there, and yet the Lord gets the message to the most distant people. I'm thinking of a proverb right now. Uh, let me read it to you. Proverbs chapter 25, verse number 25 says, As cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. And nothing like good news from a far country. So let me bring you some good news. Can I, can I be the herald? 
Can I say, let's read all about it. Let me give you some good news from a far country. How far away? Heaven. I'm giving you some news from heaven today. Look, please. The Lord knows right where you are. The Lord is visiting you right now. The Lord will give you bread. And the Lord is sending you this message today because he doesn't want you to live and die in Moab. He wants you to be in his presence. Have you heard? The Bible says in the book of Romans that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. That's powerful. See, I, I always had in my mind that the worst thing that God could do uh, to, to get our attention was, you know, to bring some evil into our lives. And sometimes the Lord allows the famine and chastening and hard things to wake us up. But that's never God's intent. God's real intention initially is just to use the good things, and the good things should remind you of God. The blessings should bring you back to the blesser. The gifts should remind you of the giver. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, which means this. It means the very breath in your body today is supposed to be a reminder to you that God gave you that breath. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. It means the sleep God gave you last night, the rest Maybe you didn't get as much of it as you wish you'd gotten, but you got a little bit of rest, and that rest was God's gift to you. He gives his beloved sleep. Even sleep is the reminder that God is God and we are not. That there's an end to us, but there is no end to him. That he never faints and never is weary, and you can go to bed and close your eyes and rest because God's going to sit up all night long. There's no sense both of you doing that. Everything, everything in your life, Every, every piece of food on your table is to be a reminder of the God who gave that to you. Everything is to draw you back to the Lord. I wonder right now, is God just trying to use his goodness in your life to remind you how wonderful the Lord has been to you and how near you ought to want to draw near to him? Have you heard? There's two things that need to happen today. Two things. Number one, all of us need to hear it again. We need to be reminded again of the goodness and mercy of God to us, and not just of physical things, of spiritual blessings, of the things money cannot buy and death cannot take away, and that needs to lead us to really remember God and repent, get thoroughly right with God. That's what I'm praying for. I'm praying, see this section over here? I'm praying everybody in this section, I don't even know most of the people in this section, but I'm praying everybody in this section will leave today thoroughly right with God. And everybody in this section, and everybody in this section, and everybody over here in this section will leave today thoroughly right with God. And the man speaking to you will leave here today thoroughly right with God. The goodness of God will take us all by the hand and just lead us right to where we need to be. There's a second thing that needs to happen today. Not only do we need to hear, we need to recommit ourselves to help other people hear. <laughs> Did you know that it was because Naomi heard and told that Ruth heard. Now you think about this. The main character of this book really is Boaz, the Redeemer. We'll see that later today. Uh, but the real main character, uh, as far as the beneficiary, is Ruth. Do you understand Ruth would never have heard if Naomi had not shared what she heard? If she'd kept it to herself? Good news is only good news if people get it. It's not good news if they never hear. And some of us who've heard thousands of times, who've grown up around church, 
who almost get bored with it. Let's just get blunt. We almost get bored sitting in church, hearing the same preaching and the same scripture and the same whatever. It's like we've heard that before. We know that already. What's happened to us? We're talking about eternal riches. We're talking about spiritual realities. We're talking about what angels wish they could look into. We're talking about the unsearchable riches of the grace of Almighty God. And there's a world out there of Moabites who are perishing without bread. And there's a Ruth somewhere near you. On your job, in your neighborhood, in your family, there's a Ruth near you. Who's the Ruth near you, Naomi, that needs to hear what you have heard so many times? What did Paul write uh, to the church at Rome? He said, how are they going to hear unless somebody preached to them? May I ask you a question? How, how do we really think they're going to hear out there if the people in here don't take what we've heard and pass it on out there? In case you hadn't noticed, they're not beating the door down to get into church houses anymore. And, and everywhere I go, people are bemoaning the fact, well, you know, I remember the day when people just loved to come to church and people would fill the church house. And yeah, you're exactly right. And that's not happening right now. But just so we get everything in its proper place, I would remind you that the Great Commission never said, build a building, have a meeting, open the church doors, and let all the lucky sinners come find you. It never said that. And in fact, the, the first century church dealt with exactly what we're dealing with today. They didn't have lots of people seeking them out, so they went seeking the sinners. That's the Great Commission. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We got to get the good news out of the church house. Out where the people who are dying without hope are. And so here's what we got to do. we got to hear it, and we got to share it. So I ask you again, have you heard? How many times have you heard? How often have you heard? How much have you heard? Because you'll be accountable for everything you've heard and what you did with it and what you passed on to other people. Naomi is a pivotal woman in this story. She's pivotal. By tonight, I hope you'll be here all the way through the evening meeting. By tonight, we're going to come to the end of the book. And I'm not going to preach every verse like this, so relax, all right? But we are going to come to the end of the book. And when you get to the end of the book, they're all going to be saying, Naomi, you are blessed of the Lord. Naomi, you are fruitful. Naomi, look at your life. Look what God has done with your life. You know where it all started? It all started when this poor broken woman just heard something. And what she heard changed everything. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? I want us to have a prayer here at the close of this Bible study hour. And I want you to pray. You know, sometimes when we have public prayer, everybody just listens to the guy up front. When someone leads in prayer, that presupposes everybody's following, doesn't it? So let's go, all go to the throne right now. Would you go to the throne with me right now? In your heart, would you, would you go to God in prayer? Would you make your prayer to the Lord? Would you pray this today, Lord, speak to me. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Lord, give me ears to hear today. Help my heart be wide open. Speak to me. Would you pray this right now? Lord, help me be a good repenter today. Oh, may the goodness of God lead us all to repentance. Lord, work in us. Turn us and we shall be turned. Would you just stop right now and thank God for his goodness? Just thank God for his goodness. He's given you bread, hasn't he? Even in Moab, 
even in times of famine, even when the loved ones die. Lord, thank you for visiting us and giving to us and reminding us. Would you pray right now that others will hear? Ask the Lord to use you to tell them. Father, we see ourselves in Ruth, but really, we see ourselves in Naomi. So often at a distance from where we ought to be, empty and broken and lacking the joy we ought to have. Oh, God, help us to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit afresh today. Help us to hear the word of God to us. Help us to hear the goodness of the Lord in our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we hear, may our souls be refreshed and helped and strengthened. And may we pass it on that others too may hear and know. Father, may this be a day of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name.